Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you've had a good uh, Labor Day weekend and hopefully have some time tomorrow to enjoy some of that as well. I was having a great week of prep this week as I was looking at our passage in Proverbs, uh, planning to uh, finish up our series on Proverbs as we walk through that together this summer, and uh, was really getting more excited the more I got into it and realized, however, that uh, the large chunk of the audience that I would want to hear that message in Proverbs are all at the fall retreat. Uh, there's so much that's so good in that. And so I kind of made a mid-course correction and uh, made a decision to do something a little different this morning. It's a slight deviation from our study in Proverbs. We'll finish it up actually next week as we look at chapter 9. And this morning, even though it's different, is very much related to what Proverbs ultimately is based upon. In fact, I believe the principle that we will look at this morning is the essential requirement for effective discipleship in any situation, including the one that this father might intend to have with his son in our study of Proverbs. It's a principle that applies to every single believer in Jesus Christ. And what should be the priority of every single church and every single single Christian in any season of life, young or old, it's the priority of, of making disciples. I think that's the heart of what Proverbs is all about. And so I want us to think through that with a little different angle this morning because there's a principle that I believe is important for, for us to understand. But when we think about discipleship, I want us to consider that, that really that's the calling of the church at large. When Paul spoke to the Ephesians and he says that the church essentially exists to equip the saints for the work of ministry, what he's really saying there is the purpose of the church is to train disciples who go out and make disciples. And so last week when I encouraged those who've been a part of Melanie Park for a while, enough to call it their church home the last over a year or so, to, to plug into the work of ministry here. And really what I was encouraging you to do is what the Bible calls us to do, and that is to be involved in a life of discipleship. And there are so many opportunities to do that within the life of this church body. Now, we want you to know that fundamentally, that's what we believe we're here for. And when I say here, I'm not only referring to here as in this side of heaven. I mean here physically in this church family. Now, what we do here on Sunday morning is important. We want you to be encouraged by our time together and that fellowship that you have with one another. Scripture calls us not to forsake our gathering together, but to consider how to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. And we want to be faithful to that. We want the time that we had like this morning of prayer and and worship to to bring glory and honor to God. And so those things are important, and, and I want you to know that we're committed to that. But I can assure you of this. There is nothing that honors God more than when you lead others to know and follow Christ. There's nothing that honors God more than when you lead others to know and follow Christ. And here's the catch. You can only lead them to that place if it's somewhere that you've been yourself. In order to go and make disciples, you have to be a disciple. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. 
Because if we want to make a meaningful impact on the people that we love, then we need to understand that that it requires that we be a faithful follower of Christ. Because if that's not the case, then that just means that we're leading them in our own strength, doing what's right in our own eyes. And that's not the direction we want them to go if we love them. If we love them, we want them to know and follow Christ. And to lead them to that place, we've got to go there first ourselves. And so we're going to look at it from that angle this morning and spend some time considering it from that perspective. Before we do, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer together. Uh, Father, as we come to you this morning, uh, we want to pause and consider the fact that uh, everything that we've looked at in Proverbs and what we will finish up next week is based on the principle of making disciples of training and raising up those who we desire to love so that they may know and follow Christ. But we realize, Father, that we can only lead them to that place if it's somewhere that we have been ourselves, that, that we are a disciple first before we have any meaningful impact in making disciples, whether that be in our home, in our workplace, in our neighborhood. So this morning, would you help us to understand what your heart is towards being a disciple? What have you told us in your word about what that looks like and what you call us to in that life of discipleship? That's our prayer, Father, and so we want to come to you with that heart and mind. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So if you would, go over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Since I'm changing directions on us a little bit, let me give you a brief context of John chapter 15 is a familiar passage. passage. You'll recognize the parable that Jesus walks through with his disciples. But what I want you to know about this parable is that Jesus is communicating to his disciples just moments before he will go to the cross. And so these are some of the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. That in and of itself should tell us that what he has to say is of utmost importance. These are some of the things that Jesus wants his disciples to know, and so he invites them to draw in close, to listen carefully to what he wants them to understand before, as he told them, that he wouldn't be with them any longer, at least not physically in their presence. And so turn, if you will, to John chapter 15 and read with me beginning in verse 1. Jesus speaking says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Again, this is a very familiar parable that Jesus speaks to His disciples, but I believe it has a very important message for all of us to hear. I want us to think about this as we go through it, and I want us to consider the the three main characters in this parable. The first is the vine dresser. I'm going to call it the gardener, because we think more of that in West Texas terms, although we do have vineyards here. But gardener seems to resonate maybe a little bit more with us. Then you have the vine, and then you have the branches. Those are the three main parts of this parable. The gardener represents God, and that's clear in verse 1 because Jesus says that He's the true vine and His Father is the gardener. So we know that that God is the gardener and it says that He is the, the true vine. Now when He says that, that obviously implies that there's more than one vine, right? But there's only one true vine. And that's who Christ is. And then the third part of the parable are the branches. And we'll learn that there are two basic types. Those that bear fruit and those that do not. So let's start with God the gardener. And as we do, I just want to ask a a show of hands of those who've ever planted a garden before. Anybody been a part of gardening? Oh, good. So this is going to make great sense to you, right? Let me ask you this. As you've planted a garden, did you ever plant cucumber seeds in hopes to harvest cantaloupes? No? You've never done that, have you? You know as a gardener that you plant seeds for that which crop you intend to harvest. And I know, I'm looking at Linda because she's a master gardener, okay? And I know Linda doesn't just one day in the dead of winter decide to throw out some seeds on the ground hoping that she has a garden someday. I know what Linda does. She prepares the soil. She plants the seed in the right season so that it produces the right harvest at just the right time. And anybody who gardens knows those very basic principles of of raising plants like that. Well, I think Jesus tells this parable to his disciples. It, It too is something that would resonate with them. And he wants them to understand that God functions in a very same way as he helps our faith to grow. You see, we don't have a harvest of faith in our lives unless God first plants a seed of faith in our heart. That's the only way it happens. God plants that seed of faith in our heart. And He knows just the right season for that seed of faith to have the best possible chance to grow. And this passage tells us some things that, that God does in hopes that you, it will cultivate a, a good, strong, growing faith in our lives as He plants that seed in our heart. And I want us to look at a couple of those things. Verse 2 says that that God does two basic things to allow that faith to grow. One is that He removes branches that don't bear fruit, and He prunes branches that do bear fruit. Now, I realize when you think about this passage, there's been a lot of debate, a lot of time, and and I've been guilty of this as as well, trying to look at this and say, okay, then who are those dead branches? Right? Who do those represent i think it is a distraction to take that angle because i don't believe that's the point of the parable at all 
what he's trying to help his disciples understand, and I believe help us understand, is what God does to promote a growing faith in the life of his disciples. And part of the way he does that is he deals with these dead branches that somehow threaten to uh, inhibit the growth of faith in a believer's life, in a person who is connected to Christ. And one of those things he does is, is he removes those dead branches. He, he takes them away. According to, to verse 4, these foreign branches don't bear fruit. That's how they're identified. And the only reason, as we see in that passage, that it doesn't bear fruit is because they're not connected to Christ. That's the only way that you bear fruit. In fact, verse 6 says that these branches ultimately die on the vine because they're not connected to the true vine. And there is no life apart from life in Christ. So they simply cannot survive when they don't have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, this has less to do with the identity of these dead branches and more to do with what God does to promote a growing faith in the life of His disciples. He knows what branches that are connected to the true vine. He knows that. And his desire is to not allow any external forces, whatever those may be, to choke out the, the life of faith in those that are his. Now that doesn't mean that he's going to make your life easy and you won't have any problems. Okay? I'll tell you just this week. It was a hard week for me. Because I was revisited by something that I is a dark place for me. And that is a struggle that I have with migraines. Um, they lay me out. They rob me. I was so discouraged this week. It started out so good. <laughs> As I told you, as I spent time preparing for Proverbs, realized that I wanted to take a little different angle. And then all of a sudden it hit me. And when it does, I'm done. And it literally puts me in a dark place because that's the only place that I can get any kind of relief. And so I felt really defeated. I felt really weak. But I realized that what I experienced is only a fraction what some of you experience on a regular basis as you deal with issues that, that, that impact your life that, that are hard, that are difficult to, to work through. And, and I know that you, probably like me this last week, <laughs> reached those places during those times where you asked the Lord, Lord, why won't you take this from me? Why do I have to deal with this? And I think the Bible is important for us because it, it's realistic. We see Paul ask the very same question when he dealt with whatever that thorn was in his side. And he said, Lord, why don't you take this from me? I don't understand. And I said the same thing this week, and I know many of you, perhaps all of you, have said the same thing at different points in your life. And do you remember how God answered Paul when he cried out to him? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. 
I think that's another way of saying what I believe this parable fundamentally is trying to teach us. And that is that God will not allow things into your life that do not promote growing in your faith. They may be hard. They may be difficult, if not impossible to understand. But there is nothing outside of the realm of God's power to use for a good purpose in the life of his disciples to strengthen and deepen their faith in him. I'll be honest. I don't know why I get migraines. I hate them. But here's one thing I do know. They keep me on my knees. They keep me humble before the Lord. They very often expose times in my life when I'm carrying way too much on my own. I don't like them. But I'm going to trust that God promises to use even them in a way that that deepens my faith and trust in Him. Here's what I do know and what I believe Jesus promises both here in this parable and throughout Scripture. And it is this. God will not stand by and watch the enemy just have his way in your life. He promises to protect you, to ensure that nothing is allowed into your life that will threaten to choke out your faith without him intervening in a way to use whatever that may be to strengthen you in your walk with him. Now, it may be more than you can handle. Listen to me on this. There is this famous saying that's often heard, and I've, sa- I've said the same thing. God will not give you more than you can handle, right? I don't believe that's true. I think He will. Because I think He wants you to trust in Him. Because here's what I do know is the case. There is nothing that God can't handle. And very often, He gives us things that we can't handle so that we trust in His ability to handle what we can't do on our own. (laughs) To understand the importance of abiding in Him and to trust in Him and to find that He is faithful. This week, before all this happened, there was a passage in Scripture that was uh, one that I'd set aside to to memorize this week. It's a passage in Proverbs chapter 27, uh, verse 13. It says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It says, wait on the Lord. Trust in Him. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait on Him. That was Monday. (laughs) My migraines hit me on Wednesday. (laughs) And I, I think that was God's way of just helping me understand. I got this. Just wait on me. I'm here this morning, (laughs) so God is faithful, and I'm grateful. And I think the point of what I want you to understand is God cultivates that life of faith in our heart. He wants us to take assurance that He protects us, that He won't allow anything into our life that is uninhibited, that is, is, has its way in such a way that, that it, in, it chokes out your faith. He will not let that happen. He promises to protect you. But he also says that he promises to prune our lives so that we can bear more fruit is what it says. Now, what image comes to mind when you think about pruning something? 
pruning shears, right? Taking something away, removing something. Now, some of you are thinking about that and you're saying, now, wait a second, I don't want God removing anything in my life. I understand. But let me ask you to consider it from this perspective. Let's say somebody goes to uh, an oncologist who reveals to them, look, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is, is you've got cancer. The good news is that it is in a tumor that is contained, and we can remove that tumor, and we can assure you that we can restore you back to good and normal health because we can see that that cancer has not spread anywhere else, and so once we get that out, you'll be in good shape. That'd be like you hearing that news from the doctor and saying, you know what, <laughs> I don't mind carrying that old thing around. Just leave it in there. Let's see what happens. You wouldn't do that, would you? Well, in the same way, we wouldn't look at what God says He wants to do in our life and say, oh, don't remove things out of my life. I'll just carry them. Because we need to understand that what God intends to do is to remove those things that inhibit our growth, that weigh us down, things that we pour energy into that only distract us from what it means to, to truly trust Him and, and follow Him. When we look at that passage, it says in, in verse 2 that every branch that... Uh, is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, in verse 3 it says, you are already clean. Now that word clean is the same word used in the previous verse when it says pruning. So essentially Jesus is saying, you are already pruned. Why? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. The point that Jesus is making is that, is that God's Word has a pruning effect. It has a cleaning effect in our life. It purifies our heart. And it does so by identifying those things that, that weigh us down, that hold us back from deepening our relationship with Him. You see, we can't control what happens from the outside in. I believe that's why God spoke to the, that point, that he, he is promising to protect us from those external things that threaten to choke out our faith. And He says, look, I can assure you, I will not allow anything to happen in your life that can't be used to strengthen your faith. That's my promise. I protect what comes on from the outside. When he turns to the inside, I think there's a responsibility that we have. We can't do what happens on the outside, but we can do something about what happens on the inside through the washing of the Word and the work of the Spirit. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to understand that sin no longer rules. It no longer has the freedom to control our lives. That cancer is contained. But there are still things that the Word will reveal that need to be removed. Places of sin, of selfishness, of anger, of bitterness, of unforgiveness that exist in all of our lives that, that God's Word reveals and then guides us on how to live free of those things. Prune them away so that we can, can walk more faithfully, more deeply in our relationship with Christ. The Scripture tells us to put off the old self with all its practices and, and put on a new self, which is being renewed by the knowledge of God. In other words, your spiritual growth includes the purifying work of God's Word in your life when it produces that fruit of faith as we learn to live in the goodness of God's design. The main thing that I believe Jesus wants His disciples to understand and, and what I want you to hear this morning is that God has planted a seed of faith 
in your heart. And He wants to see that grow. He wants you to trust Him as He protects those external forces that threaten to choke out that faith. And to trust Him as God reveals those things in your life that need to be pruned away so you can walk more faithfully in obedience to Him. And knowing this, I believe that's why Jesus essentially tells His disciples, trust in God, trust in what He's doing, and then He says, abide in Me. When He first makes that call to His disciples in verse 4, He then repeats that same thing seven more times in the next nine verses. Abide in Me. Abide in Me. The branch that is connected to Christ is identified by its fruit. It is pruned by the Word so that it bears more fruit. And then in verse 5 it says that when you abide in Christ and Christ abides in us, then you bear much fruit. Do you see the progression there? Bear fruit. Bear more fruit. Bear much fruit. The more we abide in Christ, the more we allow His Word to work in our heart, to purify our lives, the more evidence we see of His Spirit cultivating that heart of faithfulness as a disciple of Christ. Notice that outcome in verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there it is. There's the, the heart of the parable. To be a disciple. To, to trust in God and, and to live out that testimony of faith in Christ as you abide in Him. And I believe people see that testimony of faith as you are faithful to follow God's Word, which you've spent time in and you are trusting in. Jesus says in verse 10, If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. John goes on to write in his first letter, he says, For this is the love of God, that you keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. God's love is reflected in God's Word because He wants, us to reveal, he wants it to reveal the goodness of God's design. That's why when we live according to His design, we experience the fullness of God's love. That's the promise. It begins with trusting in God and then continues as we walk by the light of His Word, which then leads us into an abiding fellowship with Christ. Living as a disciple brings about fruit in your life. And this parable explains a little bit of what that fruit looks like. And I want us to, to walk through that together. So look at verse 7 again. Chapter 15, verse 7 says, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish... And it will be done for you. So one of the fruits of faith that God cultivates in our life as we learn to abide in Christ is answered prayer. And as you hear that, I don't want you to think about this power of prayer like Gandalf and his staff in the Lord of Rings where you just point it wherever you want it and bam, it happens. Okay? The power of prayer is not something that we possess to wield in such a way that we get what we want. Instead, the power of prayer is what we do to allow God to shape our desires to conform to His will. Because every prayer that is answered is ultimately in alignment in God's will. And so the way I want you to, to look at prayer is not to have the goal so that you bargain with God to get what you want. 
Because fundamentally, prayer is an act of surrender so that you want what God wants. You see the difference? We want our life to conform to God's will. Remember, the goal of faith is to bring glory to God by proving that we are disciples of Christ, abiding in Him. And Jesus told them that if you come to Me, that, that I will give you what you desire when your desires align with the will of God. Even Jesus said, I did not come to fulfill my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And he said here in our passage that he fulfilled the, the commandments that his father had given him and therefore was able to abide in his love. And so one of the evidence of faith in Christ is a life of obedience, a life that conforms to the will of God, carrying out his purposes to the praise and glory of his name. So we see that in, in the way that we align our lives through our prayers. We see that in the way we carry out um, that in our life of obedience. That's another fruit of faith. The more we walk in His ways, the more we understand the depth of His love. Remember what we've learned in Proverbs, that, that trusting in the Lord is what makes our path straight. It's what redirects us away from evil. It allows us to understand what it means to receive the righteousness of God. It allows us to honor Him. And part of that honor is the experience of God's goodness built into His design, which is one of the other uh, evidences of fruit in the life of a disciple is the joy of the Lord. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The joy of the Lord is another uh, fruit of, of, of a disciple, of abiding in Christ. It's what gives us confidence. It's God's provision and that we are learning to trust in His promises. So, so I want us to think through this together and those three things as it relates to what it means to be a disciple. Prayer, obedience, and then the last one being joy. Now, when we talk about prayer, I want us to think about that in, in, in the context of spending time in God's Word. Okay, so somebody will come to me on occasion and they'll say, "Hey, I'm really wanting to we're struggling in our marriage or struggling in our family. What I need to do?" The first question I always ask is this: Are you praying together? Because I think fundamentally, as a life of a disciple, that's the place we have to begin: is developing a, a meaningful prayer life. And I think one of the ways that prayer life is meaningful is by centering it on God's Word. And one of the things that I'll often do is, is turn people to Psalms. Because Psalms basically is a record of David's prayer life. It's his journal, his prayer journal. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you to do as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to spend time in prayer, centering it on God's Word, so that you align your life to what His Word directs. I believe that's what happened to me this week. <laughs> because... That psalm was just one that happened to come up, but I knew that the Lord, in the midst of my struggle, had prepared that for me and needed me to understand that that's the promise He wanted me to hold on to. That I needed to be strong and to take courage, let my heart take courage, that I needed to wait on the Lord. And that became a consistent prayer throughout my time this week. 
So when you think about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and understanding what that looks like, I want you to really put some energy towards a prayer life that is built upon the truth of God's Word. Let it wash through, purify, identify places of sin, and encourage you in places where you need to trust in Him. But the other part of that is obedience. I think as we see what God's Word instructs us in, now we've got a decision to make, right? And we want to be faithful to follow what God says. And, and we've talked about this before as a church family, and I want you to understand that, that obedience is not an obligation. It's not a, a duty. It's not drudgery. Because when we understand God's goodness, we understand that He built it into His design. And so it said, when it says, if you follow my commandments, you abide in my love, that's a promise. That if you do what God's Word directs, that's when you experience the joy of the Lord. That's when you experience the goodness of God. Because it's built into His design. So begin with a life of prayer that surrenders your heart to God. Allow His Word to wash into your life so that it reveals His truth and the goodness built into His design. And then make that commitment to follow Him, to, to trust Him, to obey Him. And just see if the natural result then isn't a joy that you can't generate on your own. Pursuing things that you think will make you happy that always leave you feeling a little bit empty. And see if maybe this looks a little bit different. To have a joy that actually was in the heart of Christ that can be in the heart of Will. When Will aligns his life and commits his heart to following faithfully after God. So if that's the life that we live, then I believe discipleship of others is not something that then becomes a task that we check off. It becomes a natural outcome of the life that we have in the context of those we love. So I don't have to think about, what am I going to do discipleship grant today? I know that if I am spending time praying for grant, that Terry and I are going before the Lord together as we try to do because as parents, <laughs> there's way too much that we can't figure out. And we go to the Lord because we are totally dependent on Him. God, how do we walk through this with grant? How do we walk through this with grant? Well, that's where I begin. And then I seek the Word. And Terry and I pray through God's Word together. And, and we see ways that we need to, to lead and direct Him. Then I disciple Him because I'm being discipled through my time in God's Word and His work, and the work of His Spirit in my heart. And I live in fellowship with others who encourage me in the same. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we make this too complicated. So when you leave today, I want you to think about those three things. Being a person of prayer, who spends time in God's Word and walks faithfully in obedience, trusting that that's where the joy of the Lord is built in according to God's design. Trust that God will not allow anything in your life that would threaten to choke out that faith if you trust Him. And as His Word purifies your heart, be submissive to what He reveals so that you can surrender to Him and walk faithfully in the way He's directed. Be a disciple in order to go and make disciples. Let's pray for our time. God, as we come before You this morning, we want to be faithful to be a disciple. We want to listen to Your Word and, and uh, allow our lives to be aligned with it. And so God, as we uh, finish up this morning and just take this to heart, I want to uh, ask that uh, 
that if there are things that we need to bring before you, that we just take a moment to do that now. That maybe that prayer life begins in this moment. So, Father, I'm just going to pause and allow those who I love to come before you who love them deeply and just let them uh, share their heart with you. Father, I pray that the truth of your word this morning the call to abide in Christ, to trust in God, to be faithful, to walk in obedience, trusting that there's joy built into God's design. Being unwilling to let sin exist unattended to, but allow God's Word to prune, to clean, to purify. Father, I pray that as a result they see and know that the Lord is good, that there's joy and happiness found in faithfulness to You. Father, that's our heart.